0: Hi, Michael Hubbard here with my buddy Gary Goodell and this is, uh, we're going to continue on in a discussion we had um, regarding relationships because uh, Gary told a great story how his ministry was shifted early on when he discovered the value of relationship. That sounds odd for a Christian to say, but um, I think if you've been in ministry or you've been in some churches, um, I call it institutionalization of the church where we become become business-like and we're about growth and numbers and, and of course it's, important to uh, grow the church we have a commandment to win make disciples um we need to be winning people to christ so nothing wrong with the church growing i think the question that um we've asked and talked about is you know there's growth but there's also maturing the saints and developing mature uh disciples and even even the idea of making disciples what's that look like so Gary, okay, we left off with a a couple things obviously the institutional case compared to the family um uh, developing a atmosphere where people are free to be together, and we call it do the one another's with one another, where it's not just an audience. Mm-hmm. You know, is the church an audience? Are they spectators, or are they actually a part of something? Are they contributing? Are we creating places for them to do that? So, why don't you just continue on with your with your thoughts? You you had this change in values, but the values had to look like something.
1: Well, I think I think part of it for for the average pastor is I realized that. There really wasn't any difference in our meetings. Sunday morning was Sunday morning worship. Sunday night was Sunday night evangelistic. Wednesday night was midweek prayer. But we did the same thing every time we met, just maybe in a smaller group. You can't program friendship. (laughs) The only way that you can get people to think of and live out the value of their relationships is you have to model it. And I think sometimes you not only have to model it, you have to make room for it. For example, in the early days when we were doing small groups, and here's my point with small groups, I think the kind of discipleship we want only comes out of Mm one-on-one or small groups. Mm -hmm. So I asked pastors, uh, you know, we're commanded to make disciples, uh, how are you doing with that? Oh, well, I have 120 doing this and 300 doing No, no, no. I need names and the Starbucks that you're meeting with, at the meeting the guy with weekly. Who are you meeting for coffee? Who are you modeling? Or in some case, a guy told me years ago, he was just really honest. He said, Gary, we're never going to know what Jesus did without moving into a house with 12 guys. Mm-hmm. Could you live out that kind of family interaction? Yeah. And, and for so many years, the church has been competitive to the family realities.
0: Right. I remember when, we first, when I first got saved, it was, you know, Jesus' movement and things were vibrant and alive and happening. <clears throat> and uh, we just would naturally meet in each other's homes. Exactly. I mean, we'd go to church and have great times and, you know, the big facility and the preaching, you know, the place is growing. There's 1,000, 2,000 people gathered. But it was a lifestyle all week long. We were hanging out, eating meals together, just being together and developing these bonds of relationships.
1: Yeah, and and that's the issue. You can't program that, you just do that. Right. And so for me, it's an interesting dynamic that uh <laughs> even when we started going to house churches, I knew that inter- I knew that direction we were going to, and to not compete with the with a, at a conference or other meetings. But when we started to go that way, I woke up one day and realized that we're simply doing church in the house. Mm rather than church in the building.
0: Meaning you still have one guy predominantly yeah, speaking. Yeah, you, you,
1: all the components of an average meeting in the building, we did worship and somebody brings a teaching. And even in the early days, we would model the teaching of the pastor during the week. So you'd rehash what he taught. We pushed the envelope and kept going until finally we realized that if it's relational, it's Relational. They can meet as many times as they want during the week. They meet around a meal. Mm -hmm. It moves like a family. Uh, I've often said there's a reason why God did family first and church second. The reason why there's no commands to do certain things in the meeting is because he never intended it to be more than a family of families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, we were... I was wrestling with that. In the early days of my walking this stuff out, I realized what, I think it was Carl George that called it the Jethro principle, the Jethro two principle. And what it was, is it was the counsel that Moses got from his father-in-law Jethro in the book of Exodus. And, and Jethro said, because he saw, saw Moses just wearing out at the tent of meeting, you know, people were, there was a queue or a line going to him for care and counsel. And his father-in-law said, break everybody up in the groups of 10, 50, and 100. I fell into that like uh, like I was going down a slide, 100, 100 miles an hour. The 10s and the 50s and the 100s were dynamics based upon the kind of relationship or the kind of Exercise you could do that is consistent with that size of a group. For example, ten people in a house group, uh, and you know it's not just wasn't uh, the ten the number of a synagogue gathering too. I mean, for it to be yeah, officially a synagogue was 10. yeah, and they, see that was their model. Right. So we we do the small group; every individual can be a participant. It's like family around a meal in the ten, and then when you get like five groups of ten together, fifty. You do the outreach on the beach. Mm-hmm. You do the outreach in the park. You feed the poor. You send people off in small groups, and then when you get to the 100, it's back to the need for a single exercise of a gifting, based upon who is bringing the vision. Yeah. You're casting the vision. So Graham Cooks
0: in town. Yeah, uh, a Bill. Uh, you know, some some leader that carries some weight in worship or uh, a teacher. That everybody needs to hear this message. He's going to download, and that's when we come together. We or we do South celebrations. Exactly, it's the, the big celebration of the church.
1: Yeah, one of my friends, he actually had a a unique expression. He had a, a like a real estate sign in front of the building he was using, and one side of the real estate sign said synagogue, and the other side of the real estate song said temple. Mm-hmm. And whether he if you had a temple meeting, it was all worship and the prophetic and foot washing and communion. If you had a synagogue meeting, it was small groups interacting with the speaker. So what it is is that's where we start, creating little bit of twists. Um, you find out who wants to walk this thing out by their participation. Mm-hmm. People vote with their feet. But you can't you can't do this stuff. You can't do church differently without taking some risks.
0: <laughs> what was
1: your first one, member? Well, I remember the first one is years ago, I was discipling a couple of guys during the week, but my institutional presentation in the building was the same. So what I started to do, which was the big step, I started to ask people in the congregation. I would stop in the middle of my sermon and I would say things like, what am I saying? What are you guys hearing? And actually, it was like pulling teeth, man, to get the interact. No one had ever ta- raised their hands, like, yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. unless they were in school to go to the bathroom, you know. Yeah, yeah. So people began interacting. Well, they got so used to that, they expected that. <laughs> so I found them in their word more, and even in the meeting, taking notes, because we'd have this time of interaction. And then I went even got more specific. When we got the wireless microphone, I'd walk up to a guy and say, What am I saying? Mm-hmm. And he, he, he's embarrassing, embarrassed, and he's blushing, and then he unloads the whole thing. And even have a—I <laughs> never forget, I walked up to a guy with a microphone and said, What am I saying? He goes, Well, first of all, I don't believe what you're saying. <laughs> so he confronted me, and that was one of the best meetings we would ever had, that you give the whole picture. Here's our issue, guys. We are setting our meetings, setting our agenda, setting our liturgy based upon a Greek model, rather than a Hebrew model. Okay. When I taught at the Bible college, I would say that to the first class every year. Your biggest problem is we have a Hebrew book in a Greek world. Right. right. Look at your building. You're setting it up for an audience. You're setting it up for a crowd. You're setting it up for them to be listening. Well, it was the philosophers. They were going to lecture. They were listen to Plato, Socrates. Yeah. <laughs> and the Hebrew model, Let me put it in modern English, you hang out with people.
0: Right, right.
1: And the only problem with the Hebrew model, because most of it's around meals, I often said in one of my books, and it became a part of one of my books, I should write a book called Mealology, yes. The Life of Jesus. And the only thing that'll probably happen for some of you guys is you'll put on weight. Right. Because you're going from dinners and potlucks and coffees every week. Well, what I tell people is you don't eat, you don't eat with your enemies. That's right. When you
0: eat, you're developing friendship. Something happens, you know, if you, if you casually know someone at church and you invite them to go to lunch, that relationship's going to change. Exactly. You broke bread together. And there's, a, there's a, a deeper bond, and there's a reason the Scripture says they broke bread daily in the house.
1: Yeah, I, I think that they've, they've discovered the fact that uh, one of the Hebrew traditions is the, they even tell stories that when, when tribes were at war, If they ever got the two leaders together, the moment their feet went under the table, it was a relationship. Mm. During that period of time, whether how long, ever long the meal was, there was a truce set concerning the war. Mm. So what you're saying, Mike, you just imagine, guys, just understanding the people. We have this deep, deep desire to know and to be known. Right. And uh, the great one of the greatest little kid stories I've ever heard was a mommy uh, hearing her child whimper in the other room, and she knew he was having a nightmare. And so she went in, and she patted his chest and kind of shook him a little bit and rubbed his hand. And he went back to sleep. And um, the next day, she commented to him, Honey, any time you need me... Um, just call out and I'll come in. And he said to her, he goes, you know, I, because when you come in, Mama, you pray that Jesus will come and settle me down. But I need Jesus with skin on. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea is that's the cry of people.
0: Yeah, connection.
1: And the bigger your church, I'm sorry, gentlemen, even the smaller your church, the more isolated you get. Right. So,
0: Yeah, you can be isolated in the midst of a lot of people.
1: Yeah, so we did the f- groups of 50. They were called Aserotes in the Hebrew. We did the groups of, uh, or excuse me, the 50 was Kamashim, the 10 was Aserot, the 100 was Mayot. I, I got so locked into that text, I thought, there's something there. Yeah. So we began to develop a philosophy with small groups, medium-sized groups, and large groups. Yeah. And we we went to even a adjustment of our schedule. Yeah.
0: Thing is, you 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 just gave yourself permission, which is a big part of what we talk about. Begin to experiment. Right. You weren't satisfied. You knew something was amiss. And I think if there's anything we can say to people is just don't don't get stuck in a box. Don't be afraid to experiment. God loves experimentation. He loves steps of faith. He loves it when we just, you know, that dissatisfaction. Really, I think is a gift from God. We got to look at it instead of just going back to the norm. Realize I'm not satisfied in this. I mean, when we, you know, when I, I started hanging with you, I, I, there was a, I could relate to where you were going. There was something of doing church the way I was doing it was just not working for me. And I'm, we're not against how churches meet on Sunday. We're just saying, let's just not call that church. Cause that's not the only expression. Church is what we're doing here. Church is breaking bread together in meals and homes. There's yeah. all kinds of expressions. So, guess we wrap this up. What would you say to maybe a pastor or leader out there who leads a group? What would be your advice about moving your church more towards relationships?
1: Well, I think, I think experimentation begins at the beginning. So what we were talking about, Michael, about what to do in the meetings. Um, two things that you could do to, to get this thing rolling. One of the things you could do, I love, I love how one pastor set a, a uh, preaching team together that, that they thought they were going to preach. So they all met together, and, but what he would do is he would get them to interact uh, about the sermon before the sermon came. Well, and what it was is, is he was honoring relationships at a different level, and then he um, was pulling on their ideas and bringing them into the process. Exactly. And You'd probably get mad at him and say, "That's my story, you just well, <laughs> well, and what it was is, then he would use them in the meeting. He would point them out and ask them to stand and share what they've been Uh-oh. giving to the preaching core group. That's creative. So that was creative. Another, the weirdest meeting I ever did was I brought a beach ball to the meeting, <laughs> and I tossed the beach ball out, and they were bounding, bouncing around like at a stadium. And I said, "Okay, if you get the beach ball, I want you to talk to me." And one guy risked doing that, asking what we were talking about, what's he feeling, what's he seeing, and then like, like. <laughs> My wife said, I took the beach ball back before some junior high kid spiked it in, in the back of grandma's hair, you know. But, I mean, it's so simple, so um, almost simplistic. But what we want to do if we honor, that's a whole other subject, if we honor the Holy Spirit in everybody, and that's probably one big shift for all of us, probably starts there. It gets
0: scary, yeah. But you gotta be willing to take that risk. If
1: if if you have they have the same Holy Spirit as you, what is God speaking to them? I I don't have any kind of an idea. I didn't have an idea about what I saw eventually Mm -hmm. was a talking church, a relating church, a people valuing friendship. So but you gotta start somewhere. Gotta start somewhere.
0: Let us encourage you. If you're listening to this, if you know, if you're not, if you're just a, a, a brother or sister in the in the church looking for a new expression, take some risks, take some steps, and see what God does. God bless you.